Hello guys, welcome to another edition of Sport Plus Life with a boxer Isaac Chamberlain yesterday. Now it's uh, back to my childhood love, I think, football and uh, also a bit of property as well with Shane Duff, former Cheltenham Town, Bradford City centre, centre half, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah, so uh, he's here, sat on my couch in Cheltenham. Uh, how are you doing, Shane? You well? You, uh, you looking good? Yeah, really well. It's, um, it's, been, it's been an interesting... What now? Nine years since I finished. Yeah. Playing football. Uh, a bit turbulent, but no, it looks like I'm coming out the other end of it eventually. You just got back from New York as well. Had a good time there? Yeah, that was a fantastic trip. Never been before. Um, you see the memories of 9-11 and things like that. Yeah. And it's, uh, it was very humbling. But the whole thing was done with a class act. So, no, it was nice to see. Got an energy, hasn't it, about that place? You know, sort of intangible. Something about, about it just in the walls, the, the scale of it. A friend of mine said that it was one of the only places that we went together that he'd been where it just really kind of lived up to the billing. Yeah, I don't think you can ever... I don't think you know... Everyone knows where they were when it yeah. happened. Um, and when you go there, I don't think you really know what to expect. Um, but then when you do go, do go there, it's like almost like... Um, no one knows what to say. So it's like a, there's a silence, isn't there? Yeah. Um, and then you watch the little videos. And just last night, actually, I ended up watching one of the 9-11 movies that have been made <laughs> just because it was fresh in my mind. Yeah, there's lots of, there's lots of theories about that as well. Um, Manhattan's a pretty, pretty spectacular place. Cheltenham's a pretty nice place. Came through at Cheltenham Town as a player. We'll talk about that a little bit. But you grew up in Wiltshire. So was, was Swindon your local club or was it, was it Cheltenham? How did it, how did well, it develop? Well, I, I was born in Wiltshire, but I was part of an RAF family. Ah, okay. um, so when at a very early age, we moved over to Germany. Uh, they got Mum and Dad got posted over there. Yeah. So my first four, was it four years of my life, I ended up spending in Germany. And then we moved up to North Yorkshire. Um, wow. Where we lived there. My dad was based, Mum and Dad were based up at RAF Leeming. And then I think when I was 12, we moved down to Oxfordshire. Yeah. So, how did you find that? Because I was a kid. My dad was a doctor. We moved around a lot. Uh, London, Cardiff, Norfolk, West Indies for a bit. And I think, in some ways, it, it helps you in life, doesn't it? Because you don't have that sort of like hometown where you, where you sort of crave that other people refer to all the time. But you also have that sense of just being able to adapt to, to new situations. Yeah. Well, sport helps. I think that's um, influences me, me, myself, my brother, and my sister. Yeah. I think the one thing that we always did was play sport. And when you go into a new town, it's one thing. Yeah, it's like a bit of a common ground. Well, it still is now when you go on holiday to talk to people, isn't it? Even you know, even yeah. even in America, you could talk about you know, Manchester United or something. Yeah, that's it. And I remember, I remember when we moved down to Oxfordshire. I'd just finished year seven, and it's the worst time. It's literally right at the summer. I had six weeks off. Yeah, and I'm like, nothing, nothing <laughs> to do. And my mum and dad, they talk about it now. How one of the lads realised I could play football and just come and knocked on the door and said, "I would fancy coming out." And then yeah. that was it. And then six weeks playing football in the in the park. Brilliant. Yeah. I know. It's, yeah, I remember that. Going to football trials, actually, because I moved to secondary school in Malvern just before we went to, to the Chase High School. So I had to go in, and, but football was a big part of that. You make friends suddenly and you've got that, yeah. that group around you. So it's, it's huge. But when did you get picked up by, by Cheltenham Town and how did that, how did that play out? Um, it was a strange one, really. Because your brother um, was presumably already there. Yeah, he was already there. Um, obviously, when I, I used to go and watch them when they were non-league. Yeah. So Michael made his debut when he was 17, so I would have been 12. Yeah. Um, so I remember going to Wembley in '98. I had my face painted red and, <laughs> red and white. And when they then, got promoted to the uh, no, that's the FA, uh, FA trophy. Trophy, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then I was actually I stayed on. They didn't have a full on academy system at Cheltenham at the time, so they had a youth team. But I was actually doing my full time education, doing my A levels over at Burford. Okay. And then playing in the youth team at Cheltenham, and then as the club, they had their first year in the football league. They did quite well, and they decided to just to. Uh, basically start their academy. Yeah. 
and we were we were eighteen at the time, and then he just scrapped us all and just said, "Actually, three of you can have an unpaid trial uh, with the senior team." Me, <laughs> pretty cutthroat yeah. sort of entrance. Since that's the, the world. That I guess. was it, and it was just me and two other lads, and that was it. Then we just had three months of our life supported fully by my parents. Yeah. Um, you commuting from Burford, which isn't far. It's about sort of half an hour drive. Uh, well, it's Bryce Norton, so yeah, he was forty-five minutes. That was yeah, forty-five minutes to an hour. Um, but no, he was great. And then it, you just realised how out of depth you were and how <laughs> how different senior football was to youth team. Well, what, I mean, especially then. So, what is this sort of like two thousand around that time? Was it possibly? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I signed my first contract on. I think it was October the twenty first, two thousand. Yeah, two thousand. Yeah. So what was that? What was that like? The difference then was it just the, the physicality of it? Because I suppose these guys, but also the contrast is you're an eighteen year old lad who's coming from school playing football. But for these guys, it's a living and a job and paying a mortgage. I suppose it's, oh, so it's yeah. a different intensity. Lots, of, lots of them had come through. They come from the conference and come up and they had one year in the league, and they were all majority of them were thirty something. Yeah. And they were grown adults. Some of them had actually given up their job to. Because to, to become the dream of being a footballer must have been stressful though for those guys, must it? Because they're yeah, not yeah. going to make riches out of that, but it's a kind no. of, but they have to live the the dream where you got the opportunity to. You're completely right, and some people had chosen not to go full time because it was such a risk. But that me going into this setup, they were they were obviously they they were men. They weren't twenty two year olds, twenty three yeah. year olds. There was a few of that age, but a lot of them who were playing, they were real men, and obviously the difference between me and them was huge. Yeah. Um. Well, physically and mentally. Yeah. Yeah, because a lot of a lot of strength comes, doesn't it, later in sort of twenties, thirties, kind of upper upper body strength and everything. Oh, huge, huge! And I remember, and I literally got for the whole. I remember the first six months of the year, I was just completely bullied, bullied, <laughs> literally thrown around. And there was a bit of a joke made in the first summer I had, because um, when I signed, then I got a two year contract, and then in the summer I thought, right, I'm not getting bullied anymore. Yeah. Um, and I went. I must have put on a stone just in, <laughs> just in muscle, um, and I just came. I came back and started thinking, right, well. I might not be the best footballer anymore, but you're not going to push it's me It's funny, because sometimes I go wrong. I remember I was playing for, um, I think, under-18s in the reserves at Pershaw Town, I think, when I was 17, and it was quite interesting, because it's not far away from here, but there was a guy, because he could go wrong, he did so many weights over the summer, he came back, and he weighed about 15 stone and couldn't move, so it's, you've got to be a balance, a balance to it. But that's interesting, and going back to the, what uh, preceded the, the physical development, we were talking about this before, and about people who are successful, and I remember being a football-crazed kid, and but maybe around 15, lacking that confidence to really push on that self-belief or that mental kind of decision to dedicate yourself to it. And you were talking about you almost had an epiphany at one point just to kind of think, well, this is, this is me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to become a footballer because you saw it slipping away at one point. Yeah, I was um, obviously in that, in that mindset of being in a football. I felt inferior to a lot of the players who I was training with. Yeah. Um, and I thought, oh, just not as good as them. Or, and I never, I wasn't confident. I really wasn't confident. Um, I was saying to you earlier, I almost, it was if I look back now and it was almost as if I didn't want the football. Yeah. Because if I had the football, I might give it away. Well, it's that thing of not wanting to make a mistake. Yeah, it's yeah. That, 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 te- that tension. Yeah, and it was tough. So, and that's without realising it, you're going through that. And then there was one time, um, I thought, there's only one exit route of this and this is going to be me. I'm going to be ended up going travelling because I'm not going to be a footballer anymore. And I thought, is that what I really want? And then all I did, I just literally got my head down and I was a bit of a, I was a grafter. So whatever needed to be done, I used to do it. Yeah. Um, to give me any anything I could. But then the only thing that changed was my mindset. Mm. And I just changed my mind and thinking, come on, I need to start. I need to start getting the ball all the time. I need to start doing this. I need to start doing that. 
and ultimately so it becomes a need to achieve rather than a need to avoid failure don't I think they call it psychology yeah yeah, yeah. and I was completely that and then I started going into reserve team games I was preparing myself right thinking do you know what I deserve to be better than you lot this week <laughs> And it was to everyone else. It was only a reserve. Was it liberating for you as well? Though, that once you make that decision to try and stand up and just go for it and, and be yeah. prepared to make mistakes, it's it, almost it really freeing. Was. And there was a bit of a time lag uh, for when people almost got people recognised it yeah. over a period of time. People will be will be having a few beers and be going, "Tell you what, you've been you've been you've been doing decent." I remember yeah. some of the senior lads going moaning like hell because I was starting to dominate them. Yeah, and I'll never forget there's one lad, Neil Grayson, and he was there. He was a bit of a Cheltenham legend at the time, doing well and striker and me probably and literally probably bullied me for a year 18 months <laughs> um and then i i just flipped it on it so i started kicking him i started bullying him um and i'll never forget once we were walking back from training and albeit he was moaning in training and that yeah he, he just grabbed me to the side and walking down he just said i don't know what you've been doing recently he said but keep doing it because it's, it's quality yeah and then he used to hear players that had left and come back and they would say go tell you what Duffo, he, he's, he's doing well him so it's a huge shift. It just what it's a little shift, seemingly mentally, but then it kind of yeah. it sort of spreads out from there. Yeah, and then it was then it was night, and then you just you you start playing reserve team games, and then you you become important there. Then you get on the bench for the first team. Yeah, and then it's the first time you get put on the bench ahead of a senior player, and then you obviously you become you make your debut, and then you just grew from there. Did really. you did you play any Northern Ireland youth football as well? Was that connected to you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that was when um, Bobby Gould was manager at Cheltenham. I just started playing in the first team in League One. Bobby Gould must have been fun, was it? Yeah, there's a few a few mixed reviews. Didn't have a, did, didn't challenge anyone to a fight or anything, did he? Uh, no. Like, was it John Arson? He challenged to a fight. And <laughs> got knocked, that knocked does, out. It doesn't, doesn't surprise <laughs> yeah. me. I, I really I liked him, and he was for me personally. Obviously, I, I became I played a lot of games when I, in my first year in football. And I was playing in League One. Yeah, I think I was earning. 120 quid a week playing in League One. <laughs> um, it's a reality of it though, isn't it? I suppose that brings it, brings oh, it, it home. Oh, it was. Well, I'll never forget my debut. It made me debut down at Cardiff, uh, playing against Robert and Shaw Peter Thorne. Wow. I was working two nights in a pub in Burford. Were you? And then I got up on the Sunday morning to work an eight and a half hour shift in Little Chef on the Sunday. <laughs> Little Chef? <laughs> on the one on Burford Round. Oh, right. right. Yeah, yeah, nice. <laughs> so that was... Uh, Could work uh, in a Starbucks now. It's the one that's more... Yeah, that's, that's it, that's yeah. close there, yeah. And then, but probably he was good and he, he obviously promoted it and then I got the Northern Ireland recognition and he was... He actually gave me loads of confidence. Yeah. He, he almost... He almost, like, would say stupid little things. Bloody hell, he said, you can be a player, you can. He'd, yeah. like, he'd, he'd say stupid things like... You and your brother should be centre half for Northern Ireland, let alone just Cheltenham. <laughs> and and it was little things like that. You almost were you playing centre half alongside your brother at that point? Then the year I got into the team, yeah, I got yeah. into the team in when was it? Two thousand and two, and Michael left for Burnley in two thousand and fourteen. So yeah, there was, there was like a there was an overlap where I came into the team, and when I got into the side, I was playing next to him. So for people who yeah who who don't know Shane's brother's Michael Duff, who's now Cheltenham Town manager, but long standing ten years at Burnley, did he? I mean it, twelve. 12 yeah and he went along he went obviously through the Premier League era and everything but retired in 2016 he must have been quite he had oh. a long career didn't he but he, what was he 39 when he retired yeah. something like yeah. that oh, he's brilliant he had three promotions to the Premier League yeah um, to get three promotions he got a few relegations in there too yeah uh, international football but the fact that he's had all those experiences people say oh he's a really inexperienced manager but what he's done with Cheltenham this year has been outstanding yeah but that's probably because he's, had, he's worked under a lot of managers he's experienced what it takes to succeed he knows what goes wrong in the dressing room when things aren't going so well so he can probably see it and try and stop it before it happens yeah. so now he's done really well yeah cool. yeah, we've gone through different managers at Burnley as well that's interesting um, but for you what, that, that, I'm interested in that psychology because I'm a brother I'm one of four I've got three younger brothers and we've n- not done the exact same path so I've got one as a lawyer one as a 
a barrister, what is he, yeah, one's a barrister, one's a doctor, and one's trying to make it as a, as a singer at the moment. He's doing really well. But it's very different, so we've not kind of got that comparison element. So mm-hmm. what's, that, what's that like to come through and people kind of, I guess, thinking of you as Michael's brother and you and yourself sort of comparing, competing? How did it, how did it work? Well, well, my song at Cheltenham was Little Duff. Little, little, little <laughs> Duff. Little Duff. Um, <laughs> it, was, it was one of those, really, where a lot of other people in Cheltenham saw it as, oh, they always said, oh, were you, were you jealous of him or are you competitive? But like I say, because at school he was year eleven. Yeah, I was year seven. It's a pretty big so, gap. So it, it would never. That was the only time we were ever in school together. So we were never directly competitive in that in that respect. Did, um, did he influence you loving football, choosing football? Did you play with him? Was it part uh, of the way you got into it? Oh, I'd say so because obviously being if if he was six, seven, eight playing football, I was probably on the touchline playing with my cars. Yeah. But ultimately, I was around around football. Um, we used to go watch a lot, and then obviously through my teenage years, I was watching him for Cheltenham, having success. Yeah. Um, and it and it was good, and it was almost good seeing him because he got massive rejection when he was young. Mm. Um, and even even when he was playing in the Swindon's youth team, he was tiny. I think he was seven and a half stone. Wow. And just said you will never make it. But under football. eighteen, he was seven and a half stone. Yeah. Or, yeah. Yeah. They, they released him, and they said, "Oh, you'll never, you'll never make it. You're far too small." And you know what? They if he stayed that size, he, they would have probably been right. <laughs> But then he, and then he just grew, and then obviously that's when he came through at Cheltenham, and then he just had a growth spurt, became a bit like Bambi, and then he added the, <laughs> he, he put the coordination. But in that's the weird play. thing, though, isn't it? Because the way football man, top level football works in particular, they kind of siphon kids off as academies at yeah. sort of eight, nine, ten or something. You think guys that are late developers like that almost miss miss out potentially. Yeah, so obviously I was, I was sat there watching it, thinking, oh bloody hell, fair play. And he's he's always been a bit of a, a quiet underdog, yeah. really, Michael. Um, but he's always been the underdog that succeeded. Yeah, no. Every everything is pretty much done. Is that belief? Every, is that belief? You think in, I'd say internal? So. I don't think you'd ever. I don't think you'd come out publicly and say, "Oh, I am this." Oh, I'm. I've, I've always knew I was good enough. Yeah, but you've probably got that inside. Um, but your parents must have helped instill that in both of you, I suppose, to make it as professional athletes, particularly football in this country, because you know, everyone wants to do it as a kid. Uh, completely, I'd say it all all comes from them. I think um, my brother, my sister, and myself. I think we're all all that way inclined to thinking if you if you stick to something you want it you're gonna mm. make it happen. Um and I think they've always they've always done that themselves. Um uh, yeah, definitely that's their core values that I think we definitely got from our parents. Do you have that unconditional sort of support and, and basis to go and chase something like that? Because a lot of parents would be saying to you at eighteen, <laughs> wouldn't they? Why don't you go and uh, you know, do do a degree, become an accountant, become a teacher, whatever. Oh, exactly. And and it was one of those really where you sometimes fear your parents when you make decisions or you're thinking, Oh, are they gonna agree? Um, but they, they would just they'd always be there We if I wasn't given free accommodation and board for three yeah. months while I was on trial I wouldn't have I wouldn't have done it and then, then I went to the massive wage of 90 quid a week 90 quid a week um, I, I mean, what did it feel like did it feel like at the time a bonus because you're because I remember getting playing for Malvern Town and getting 20 quid or something in a brown envelope and thinking it was the best thing in the world and you obviously <laughs> spent it straight away in the pub but it was just that feeling for getting paid for playing football was unreal and I never really had that much but that was well it was it was interesting because you'd be like oh yes you by job title you're a professional footballer but I, yeah. I wasn't at the time I was I was involved in a professional environment yeah um, it's not enough to live on really and then you go down the pub and people would go oh <laughs> your beer's on you and I'm thinking no mate yeah. they should be on you yeah it's <laughs> lime, and, lime and sodas all around or something yeah, yeah. But I, I never forget, I used to be able to go down the pub and buy five pints of Stella with a tenner. Really? And then very quickly, I think it was two pound ten, I was like, oh, I can only get four pints. <laughs> <laughs> I remember there's a club in Worcester that used to do 50p pints when we were sort of a teenager, but they're pretty dodgy pints. I think the, yeah. the barrels had gone off or something. It was Foster's. Yeah. Uh, but that's, yeah, that's interesting. The reality of that, and it's more about 
just the enjoyment of saying you're going to be a professional footballer. But even when you're working through those levels at Cheltenham, I guess you're cooking up schemes in the back of your head to maybe the, the next transition. Because talking about John Finnegan, just how he says that, you know, he was always aware when he was playing at Cheltenham, you Finn as your old teammate, that you'd look around the dressing room and think, is he going to be all right after football? What's he going to do? And, yeah. and you sort of knew that there was some ingredients in some people who just could play football but didn't have maybe that kind of spark to, to pursue a second career, which you, you kind of need to, don't you, when you're playing League One and League Two? You're so right. And, um, and Finn and I have spoken about this a lot. And we would say, out, out of people in the dressing room, you'd say that me and him, we've got a decent head on our shoulders. You're thinking, all right. But, and even since half finishes, it's, it's been tough. Yeah. And, and you lose touch with people. But it's almost, you, you do look around and you think, I wonder what they're doing. Yeah, because you're almost thinking they're gonna struggle. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. But it, you, and but like, well, to be fair, there's there's a couple of people who we thought would really struggle. And they seem to be doing all right. Have so, they? Yeah. Well, they cho- joined a trade or something. Have they? Or what's um, yeah, it's amazing the way you see people turn up. Yeah, people turn up and doing all sorts. People, some people who you never have thought they'd be handy people <laughs> have almost gone into set up their own little businesses in, um, like you say, trade people, handymen or yeah. artists. Artists. Yeah. Wow. So it's um, it is a. Well, they, was one. that a creative player who became an artist? No, was it? goalkeeper. Goalkeeper, that's <laughs> interesting. Yeah. They're a bit eccentric goalkeepers, aren't they? they say, well, so. he wasn't. No. He was, uh, Shane Higgs' his name was. You never would have thought he'd have got into art or like handyman sort of work. Yeah. He was one of those um, blokes, he'd always funny. Our goalkeepers have always got to touch the ball, haven't they? In yeah. The, in the tunnel. The referee's like, <laughs> goal in. They're like, yeah, yeah. They bounce it. And I remember thinking, it's round. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's probably pumped the up. same same one you've played with yeah. before. But but Higgsy, he used to stand there leaning against the wall. And I'd be like, Higgsy. And he'd be like, no, it's fine. <laughs> like, so um, you'd almost, he almost played on it. It became yeah. part of his So he didn't do, didn't do art while he was playing then? Um, not that well he might have done but he yeah. probably didn't because of the environment he probably just didn't say yeah. he, wouldn't, he wouldn't have been bothered anyway he's that sort of he used to play on the fact of being a bit well different. did you have those conversations though, those fears you know because I was speaking to Gareth Evans a rugby player on here I think he's currently out of contract at Gloucester he's waiting for a new deal and talks about uncertainty he's 27 I think average rugby union player doesn't play much beyond 30 because of the stress of it so they're constantly thinking about the next the next step. Were you openly talking about it, or is it that macho thing in the dressing that no one no, mentions those uh, sort of things? No, and... I don't think. I don't think you can be macho. At the end of the day, when you're playing at Cheltenham, you're at Cheltenham. Yeah. You no, know, no one knows. I, I know there was a few players we used to play at. Play at. They'd they'd go out on a Saturday night and they'd be they'd be drinking champagne. <laughs> and you're always thinking, what are you doing? Yeah. We, we know you can't afford because that. you're old. <laughs> but it's old school football. This is what it was like. Even the the, the elite athletes like Stanley Matthews and stuff yeah. in the fifties. These guys were comparable. They lived in what Matthews lived in, like terraced house didn't they they were comparable to the workers of the day and it was only really 70s 80s particularly 90s where suddenly the elite level footballers went beyond the average working man but you guys are kind of living you know it's a a job isn't it there there is no definitely there's a few players who almost set a bit of a precedent who they were doing uh, degree courses while they were playing yeah and they might have been a little bit older they might have just reached 30 and they started um i know josh lowe he started doing like some law degrees steve guyner i think he did a six-year Six-year part-time sports yeah. science degree. Because you do have time after training, don't you? Oh, of course. Yeah. If people tell you, if people tell you, you haven't got any time. You do. You've got loads <laughs> because there's only people used to moan. They said, "Oh, you, you're not. You can't even train." I'm like, "Well, you can't run around for eight hours every day and be, and <laughs> yeah. be yeah. Feet, peak physical fitness on a You'd Saturday." You'd be an absolute mess on a Saturday. Yeah, you'd yeah. just be exhausted. Yeah. So there's there is loads, and obviously, you know what I do now. Now, where I probably work many more hours than I should. Yeah. Um, but that's there's always time, and we- but you. You're never going to motivate people to do it unless they see the benefit in it. We, we talked to Finners as well. That time being at Cheltenham Town came through in, in 2000, that the club becoming a football league club 
for the first time. It, was, it seems like there's a euphoria and a sort of like it was a halcyon period of playing for Cheltenham as well, particularly in this this town, which is a racing town with a big rugby club down the road. They had a huge amount of success um, when when Steve Cottrell became manager, and that through through the turn of the millennium, that period of time until through two thousand and two, mm. it was like a bit of a like a bubble that loads of people look back at now and go, there the glory is. <laughs> and it was, it was like the club went from having like 800 fans to three, three and a half, three, three and a half thousand in a really short period of time. And then the club almost got, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Complacent? Or... Not the club, the fans almost thought, what's going on here? They might have had a, like a, a mediocre yeah. League Two season and thinking, well, this, this, is, this isn't very good. So this is what you see potentially people talk about maybe happening at Bournemouth who have had this yeah. incredible run to the Premier League and now there's a sense they've plateaued. But then yeah. you you know, you know you question it, but you, you have to be careful what you wish for as, as fans. And that's it. Some people have now became fans in this success and they just see the team getting promoted or they're now in the Premier League. Yeah. If they got relegated from the Premier League and sat in the middle of the Championship, Bournemouth fans would probably be going crazy. <laughs> but they've all got short memories, haven't they? Yeah. It's a question for Cheltenham, isn't it? I, I suppose... Can you galvanise more people to go to the club? How do you do it? How do you, you know, change the mindset maybe that it's a racing town or a rugby town? And what, what are the ingredients? Is it publicity? Is it getting kids in? It's a, it's a tricky one, isn't it? Because you've got demographics, but then Cheltenham potentially could draw people in from, yeah. from Wiltshire, Oxfordshire. There could be a bigger, bigger pool of people to come in. Yeah, they're not competing against any other football clubs really other than Forest Green just down the road yeah. um, I know you've got Bristol a bit further away and I Swindon know... Town sort of but then you think Swindon Town were a Premier League team and not, you don't necessarily think of them as a, yeah. as a, as a League 1 too it's, it's, it's the barrier, barriers to entry and everything's people always say well if you, if you specu- speculate to accumulate does the marketing work but yeah. ultimately you've got the, na- the nation's number one game it's not going to be that hard no to get them to a club, or well, that's what everyone thinks. But it's 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 what what does it take? What does it take to get them in? I don't know the answer. And you got to sell it as an easy. It's an easy day out as well. I you know I love about you go to Premier League games. And obviously, I used to be working mainly at them. But logistics are getting in, the size of it, the, you know, the scale of time getting out, traffic, all that stuff. In Cheltenham, you can sort of if you live in Cheltenham, you can walk there and yeah. wander in five minutes before kick off, and oh, you know, then go out, leave it Saturday, have a Saturday evening afterwards. I can't I can't wait for my life to be a bit older, and that would almost be me. You know, Saturday. I'll take the lad to the football. Yeah. Almost, it's 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 a win at home. Yeah. Because um, she's got like a child free, <laughs> yeah. child free day, and I'm spending a bit of time with my lad, and it's you can't think of anything better. But that's because I like. Yeah, football. my my little girl wants to go, but she she does also say football's boring and keeps trying to turn it off when it's on. So I'm not sure she's four. I'm not sure she could deal with it at the moment. Maybe if it's a warm day, we'll go and get her an yeah. ice cream. She'll probably enjoy it. But I think she does like football. She just likes to wind me up by saying she doesn't. So. No, well, yeah, Very inter- yeah. interesting. Yeah. Interesting is that how the dynamics work. Um, so when you were, you were at Cheltenham Town, had a long stint at Cheltenham Town, had a couple of injuries, I was reading, in the, in the build-up to leaving the club. 2010, you left the club for, yeah. for Bradford. What, what went through there? Was it, was it just felt in need, need of a change? Well, it was, um, cut a really long story short, we were in League One um, and I damaged my Achilles, uh, which put me out for nine months. Mm. Um, and by the time I got back fit, we were relegated. So I, I was. I felt as if before I got that injury, yeah. it was I was going the right way. I was playing in League One, performing in my head really, really well. Yeah, and it was one of those where I knew there was a few phone calls. Did you see a there. big? So, so League One's third tier for people who don't know of English football, and then you got League Two, which is the fourth. Did you see a big gulf between the two when you were, when you were playing? Um, I think there was. I think there was, especially with the quality of the strikers. Whether that was because I was playing directly against yeah. them, um, I, th- I actually preferred it in League One because I think you could use your head a little bit more. Yeah, um, but I enjoyed that. I felt as if I was doing really, really well, and I thought, Do you know what, I'm, I'm, kick- I'm going, <laughs> I'm going to kick on it. 
Um, and then obviously got the got the injury. By the time we got back fit, um, we'd gone down. We'd had a change of manager. Martin Allen came in uh, in charge. What's, what did you make of Mad Dog? Mad Dog Martin Allen. Again, per- personally, I got I had an okay relationship with him, but you could see what he did to the dressing room. It, it was it was chaotic. Yeah. Um. He had his he had his ways and he had his values, and some people just didn't know didn't understand. I it. think he's very well intentioned, but he always gives you sort of a death stare when he works in the media side. He always gives you this sort of death stare that you think he's about to. Then yeah. he comes up and puts his arm around you. You think, oh wow, I thought oh, he was good. Is it. It's just the way, way perception of where he, where he looked. Well, he the best thing I ever did with him was challenge him. Yeah. Um, and just called him out like I, I did. I didn't abuse his power as yeah. being a manager. Um, but he, he he's making all sorts of threats. I don't need to go into it now, but like all sorts of threats and stories really? and things like that. And you go and you knock on his door in the morning and he'd be like, oh, you come and speak to me in 20 minutes. I was like, <laughs> okay, because the media were there. So I was like, okay, went and knocked on him again. Then again, he turns up on the training ground and he's avoiding you. So I'm thinking, <laughs> right, so, I'm, so I'm, I'm, I'm stubborn. So I was like, yeah. there's no way I'm leaving this training ground without him speaking to me. Yeah. So at the bottom of where their offices are at, at the training ground, you've got to come down some steps. So I sat on the steps for like <laughs> two hours and waited until he left. I said, oh, duffo. But then you do, um, you, you called him out, you speak to him, and he, he treated you like a man then. So it was actually quite sensitive, so he didn't want to make difficult, have difficult conversations. In a sense, he was avoiding confrontation, yeah. He was. I think he, he liked the confrontation in a way, and at Cheltenham he tried to check, he tried to lose his mad dog tag. Yeah. Um, and he wasn't very mad. Mm. He, had a, he did a few, well, so he did some crazy things, yeah. but he wasn't like a, like a Rottweiler no. in the dressing room or anything, no, not at all. But how he tried to treat some more senior players, or you class the influencers, mm. It, it lost the dressing room because they became influencers of the younger players. Yeah. I used to say to the players, I'm like, he's a manager. Yeah. You're playing in League Two. If you're not playing at Cheltenham, you're only going one way. Yeah. So he used to have like a, like his thing of, oh, will you run into a, but will you run into a hedge together? That sort of thing. I'm like, <laughs> ignore the fact that he wants you to run into a hedge. Did he actually try and get you to do that, did he? All, all sorts, whether it's a river or... Ultimately, I said, try, what's the message he wants you to get? He wants you to know, will you do that together? Yeah. Um, but obviously, you're trying to sell that. So I was like, well, you're the manager. I'll buy into what you want. Ultimately, I need you to be good for my career. Um, and at the end of that year, he ended up getting fired. And then I thought, you know, I've been at Cheltenham for 10 years. Mm. I've just almost... I've come off the back of a, a bad year what, and you, what you were sort of arguably at, what 28 was kind of that's what footballers consider their sort of prime age isn't it 28 yeah. to, to 30 yeah I felt as if 18 months before I was I was I was playing in League One climbing and then all of a sudden um, that was completely taken away I was like bloody hell so I ended up going to Bradford yeah um, and took, I actually took a 33% cut Really? Wages what, Brad, Bradford were a League One team at that time? Uh, no, they were still in League Two. They, okay. they were in League Two. Peter Taylor was manager and they were having a bit of a push. Yeah. So I thought, you know what? I need a fresh challenge. Um, and I thought, I'll do that. I'll go there. And then as, as it happened, it was my spine that retired me. I know. We'll talk to about a second. Just quickly on Bradford, it was interesting as you said the League Two at that point because football can be the English pyramid system, relegation and promotion. It can be a bit like bubbles in a in a glass of water, can't it? Because you get these clubs that go up. Bradford had a in the Premier League yeah. a decade before less than a decade before what was the emotion around the club when you went there was it kind of a, was it still a hangover from, from uh, that period it was a very broken club actually yeah very broken there was a lot of uh, toxic I would say um, there was a, there was two there was joint chairman at the time mm. and all the staff in the club hated the chairman wow 
So you don't know that until you go there. Yeah. And you go there and you're thinking, God, you, you went in every single day. Were they aggrieved because they weren't up in the starry lights anymore and they blamed I them for so. it? Or? Um, yeah, and they, they definitely blamed the chairman for a lot. I don't know the ins and outs of what was going on. But the, the downside of we used to go and report to the, uh, the, the ground every day and yeah. then we used to drive to the training ground. Oh, okay. But when you go to the ground, you've got all that negative stuff going on yeah. without realizing it. You're going in there; and it's not a great place to go. Yeah, and then um, it's hard, isn't it? Anyone in any workplace, when you feel injustice, you you want to stand up for yourself and, and for fairness, but also you don't want to project negativity because then it brings everyone down. It's a difficult balance sometimes. If you, if it's unless maybe they need to confront the chairman or do something you know more open well, about I, it. I, he's not chairman anymore, but and a few people, a few people did tried to confront him or say there was issues but there was yeah. there was never anything got to the bottom of it and obviously it was above our above our pay station to get yeah. involved yeah. Uh, but ultimately and then Peter Taylor he was really unlucky that year because yeah. he, he signed maybe six or seven core players of that team to get them promoted me being one of them yeah. and out of all of those players the spine of the team I played the most that year and played 14 games wow so his, all of his budget he had spent on some players to make a difference. And you weren't all injury-prone guys going in, that's just bad oh, luck. No, no. Yeah, yeah. They, no, not at all. And um, it was just really, really bad. I, fe- I actually, when he, when, he got, when he got sacked, yeah. I actually called him up and said, I'm really sorry that my part in that was I played 14, but there was loads of people who hadn't what, even played. What do you think that, that, that element of football is, the, the hysteria of it, with managers who are suddenly good one minute, bad the next, based on the kind of... Guess you know ups and downs of the cadences of just form and stuff like that. What do you is it irrational because you come out and you, we talk about you in the business world now, but that kind of you know knee jerk reactions. Do you think it's long term good for clubs? Um, it's really tough. Um, you look at um, Southampton when they got rid of Nigel Atkins, who was doing a fantastic job. Yeah, and he had an injustice of oh you're getting rid of him to get Pochettino in. Yeah. No, no one looks at no one looks at that. No, and no, I no, think, no. Oh, that was a bad decision. Yeah. Um, but more often than not, a change has a positive impact. You look at Cheltenham now. Yeah. You change the manager. Yeah. It has a positive impact. Although 20... your, br- your brother's taken, he took. To be fair to me, it was a, it was a kind of process and that's continued, hasn't it? Rather than just a, a bump. Yeah, it wasn't just an immediate spike. Um, but no, more often than not, it's a lot easier just to change a manager to do that. Whether it's right or wrong, is another matter. Yeah. Um, and but if you want to have those long term, like you know, some sort of Cinderella run up the. The leagues, you almost yeah. need a consistency there. It seems like you know, the guys yeah. that in history that have, but I suppose it's like chicken and egg. They're preeminent managers because they're given the chance to stay there, or it's hard. It's a hard conundrum. Would they always have been so successful? People like Ferguson, Clough, and yeah. and Shankly. Because I think Peter Taylor, what he he was, I think he was he fell foul of the modern player. So it was yeah. At Bradford, we had a lot of the players that he had signed. The um, but he was classed as a southerner. Mm. Um, but whereas a lot of the players were some younger northerners yeah, and they were the northern and he was just very honest with them if he didn't think they were performing he would just tell them straight and, yeah. they, got, and they, they got they got sulky and <laughs> I was like really? And he, <laughs> he, he wasn't telling them in a horrible no condemning way yeah he was just like well that can't, that can't happen and then he had a byproduct of because he had so many injuries we had a bad training ground our training became really dull and boring yeah because he, we couldn't actually do it he never wanted us to have a five side in case someone got injured wow so but then his his approach of just being direct directly honest and just being really straight with people was almost the wrong approach because these young <laughs> younger players who had probably had been arm trapped. So yeah, the opposite of Martel, yeah, Martel and not being because conf- it's difficult, isn't it? The psychology of it, and you can't, you know, sometimes yeah. you can't win. Well, academy football now, they get told a very, very general, generic here. They get generally get told, "Oh, you're fantastic. You're putting confidence in them for ten years." Yeah. Then they get to eighteen, 
and they tell 99% of them to get lost. Well, that's what you worry about being a parent, though, isn't it? You're teaching your kid to be kind, giving them yeah. that unconditional love, and then you do worry that, that when the world kind of bites back and they, they run into people who aren't like that, that they're going to suffer. So I suppose that happens in football as well, because it's, yeah. it's cutthroat football, isn't it? It's a microcosm of life, I guess, in terms of, you know, not everyone can win, not everyone can make the career, not everyone yeah. can make the team. Well, you're, com- you're completely right. And you, you, I almost, I've actually joked about it saying I, I almost wish my lad doesn't like football. Yeah. Because at least I've got knowledge of football and I understand how it works. Yeah. He, he might be doing great and they might tell him he's great, but I'll, I'll be sat there thinking, yeah, they're probably just telling him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you can't learn that lesson for him really or warn him about it because yeah. by warning him, you'll put a seed, negative seed in his mind, exactly. won't you? So I it's. Just hope he plays rugby or something. <laughs> <laughs> but what's, what the, so the injury came about because we. Um, had been put in contact and then we, I bumped into uh, David Lloyd in Gloucester where we both members and you were talking about that and I hadn't realised that it had been so abrupt the, the end of your career it was a freak freak accident yeah it was, um, I, was I was on the pitch at Bradford and doing a warm up and I just went to catch a football and that was it career over and what was it? Like my lower spine all the, there was discs all at the bottom of my back just basically just got shredded in one movement Jeez. and that was it and it wow. took me, and I was out. That was in the March, and I was out of contract in the summer. So March twenty eleven was it? March twenty eleven, and um, that would have happened probably what good three, four, five years before you'd have anticipated retiring. Oh yeah, yeah. You don't you don't envisage you ending then, and then that was it. The last day in June is your last. You don't get paid again. So from the injury to to the realization, how long was that? Was a two? It was two months. I'll never forget. It was. I didn't realize that was my in, my career over yeah. the time, and it was the twenty sixth of January two thousand and twelve. I ended up going to see the a final specialist. I'd spent eight months and a lot of money going to try and get treatment. Yeah. Um, and then it was down at the Spire Hospital in Bristol where the bloke just said, listen, you are never playing football again. And, and, it, <laughs> and it's an important thing to consider is because we were talking about it and, you know, you get bombarded with people who are extra secure, extra safe, and they get insurance for this, pay, you know, income insurance, all this different type of stuff they're paying out for every month. And you obviously had that as a professional player, but... But there was a problem, wasn't there? You're on the pitch with a football, but apparently it wasn't it wasn't a legitimate footballing injury for well, for your yeah. insurer. Yeah, so I had I'd paid insurance so that if anything like this had happened, I'd have like a two hundred and fifty thousand pound yeah. payout. That was my insurance. It should have been huge at that stage, right? Oh, it would yeah. have it would have certainly just looked after that immediate. Because yeah. like you say, you've got mortgages or you've got car, you've got your phone payment, and all of a sudden mm. you've got nothing. Yeah, nothing to actually pay those. Um, so, but because of the injury. They, they, they classed it as the word degenerative was in the report. So if they say it's degenerative, it just means that over the wear and tear from being a professional footballer, that probably contributed to getting that injury, even though it was a one-off injury. So because of that, they just went, no, insurance is null and void. But the degenerative injury of being a footballer, if it's, if it's related to you being a footballer, that doesn't, they think that somehow null and void it. Because obviously everyone's going to have yeah. wear and tear as being a footballer, aren't they? Well, that's it. Anything. So yeah, any. so it's almost... My advice to anyone now who's getting insurance policies out and just say, well, look into what is, yeah. what do they, are they able to write off? Go through the permutations and yeah. try and get it written in. But that's that is scary, isn't it? So what, so what period of sort of, I guess, realisation coming to terms with that did you, did you go through at that point? I was like, wow, what am I going to do? Yeah. I, I'd, I'd almost thought, well, even, before I got told finally, I was like, bloody hell, I've had my Achilles and now my back. I thought, do I start thinking of, Getting educated, I was always I was always had an eye on getting educated and going back to university. Yeah, because I'd done my A levels, thankfully, because that enabled me to have UCAS points to get into university. Yeah, um, and then I thought, well, I can always go. I'll I'll be able to play conference football part time, and yeah. I'd already actually agreed before, but even when I left Bradford, I had actually almost agreed a contract with Forest Green. Really, and just said, well, 
It wouldn't be popular but, nowadays if you played for Forest Green from no, Cheltenham, no, would you? And it, yeah. and it was almost one of them. No, nothing was signed or anything. It was like, well, this is the, these are the numbers we're talking about. Um, and they were full-time at the time, but they had almost said, yeah, we're happy for you to do your university course. We'll take you part-time because we think you're a big big part of what we don't. As it happened, none of it was... Mm. None of it was uh, ended up going anywhere because I, I never ended up getting fit again. Yeah. But that's where I was thinking. I thought, well, that I don't want to do that, but that would be great. Then all of a sudden you think, well, that is an income stream gone. Yeah. So then you're thinking, well, what what have I got? Have I got enough money? In, have I got enough money in the bank to put myself through three years at university? Yeah. So that's pretty much what I did. You did three years at university at that stage. Yeah. Wow, that's yeah. impressive. And you, were you trying to work on the side? What was the, what was the degree that you did? <laughs> it was a sports coaching degree. But what I did on the side, I was one of those where I had, I put some money in a bank and then I thought I'll go out and earn a few things. So I set up my little coaching business that I did myself. Yeah. And I just, and then I've got a friend of mine. Who, football coaching. Yeah. Football, oh, yeah, yeah. football coaching, my own little um, uh, centre. And then I, I worked through the night. Through the night? Uh, um, there's a, a former Cheltenham player, Paul Collicott, has got his own, like, um, not, he's not a butcher. He's the people who supplies. It's not not an abattoir. He's the middle one. Yeah, all right. He's the middle before an abattoir, after an abattoir, but before the butchers. Yeah, he's like a wholesaler to all the butchers around locally. When I say locally, Birmingham, Wales. Wow. Um, and his shift start at two o'clock in the morning. So you can imagine, you can picture the scene here now. I, did I need the money there right now? No. But yeah. if I thought if I go and earn a couple of hundred quid a week, it's going to mean it's not going to come out my savings. Yeah. Um, and it means that money's going to last longer. But you can imagine former Cheltenham captain come back to Cheltenham working through the night but a lot of a lot of people had a few opinions on that but do you know what? i quite enjoyed the fact that people thought do you know what? he's he's a real well, my mates thought the same because they thought i was because my dad was a doctor that was a posh lad and i worked on the bins in the summer from uni they thought it was like <laughs> couldn't believe it like these guys who sort of said they're working class lads or whatever they're like well, what are you doing working on the bins i actually enjoyed it because it was just physical yeah. work and it was uh but it's just yeah like you say it's just doing it's, it's interesting how society kind of it puts kudos attached to different things and not oh, others. Completely, completely. And I've never, I've never been a bit of a showman. Um, it's always been nice to be, it's always nice to be important. But then even, even going there, I was like, knuckled down, got down, and won the respect of all the people because I came in there and people thought, oh, he's got one of his boys <laughs> in, and apparently he had a habit of bringing, play, bringing lads oh, in right, who yeah. used to play football at Bishop's Glee with him. Was your back all right lifting? Carcasses uh, around and stuff. It, it struggled. Some of them are heavy. Yeah, I bet. Like some of the half, half the carcasses, like hundred kilos. But there was a technique of doing it. But there was a few older guys who were strong as hell. It's, like, like, heavy, it's like a heavyweight boxer carrying that. You know, yeah. hundred kilos. So I, so I used to work that through the night, and then I used to go to university, coach the foot, help coach the football team, do my studies. Were you then, all right physically doing that at that point? So um, you didn't have a baby at home or anything at that stage. No, I was. It was really tough actually, and I know my parents were really worried about me at one stage because I was doing that during the night. I was going to university and coaching, and then in the evening I was doing some scouting work for Stoke City. Wow. So sometimes I never forget. I was getting into bed at half eleven at night, and I was getting up at quarter past one. To do that, Brutal, isn't it? yeah, and I remember mum and dad at one stage saying, "Listen, do, do you need money? Do you need money?" Yeah. And I was like, "Well, no, I'm never going to take money off you while I've still got some money in my own little pot." Yeah, but that was that was probably a pride thing more than anything. Yeah, I look back now and think it was pretty, it was pretty stupid because I was surviving maybe from Monday to Friday on between eight and yeah. twenty. It's hours tough. I'm, I'm not in that situation now at all. But I, you know, we were saying I was working till two last night. I got back at two from from London for Sky Sports and get to sleep at three and. You know, a little girl woke me up at six, went back to nine. But you start to think, and then as you get older, you, you I think you'll just turn 37, you know, I'm 37 as, yeah. as well. You get these things of like, you know, you read everything you read, like sleep's the most important thing for you. And if you're not getting it, and, uh, it's, uh, you sort of start to psychologically play, uh, play habit with you a little bit. But you can do it for a short spell, can't you, I think? You can, I think you really can. When, and, well, when you, when you need to do it, you do it. Yeah. 
you sleep when you die, I think, was a sort of cabbie in Philadelphia once said to yes. me and my mate. So it was like on a, on a night out because we were complaining about being out too much on the, this was years ago. Uh, so, so, you do, so you've done that, you, you, you graduated and, and now you kind of, you got a multifaceted sort of business at the moment, different, different hands in yeah. different well, pots. Um, well, when I finished my degree, I ended up going, doing a PGCE and actually became a teacher. Yeah. Um, and then what, but while I was doing my degree, when I, my little pot of money that I spoke about, I spent the last chunk of it on some education in property. Yeah. So from there, I started to um, work in property, doing myself, like buy, refurb, sell, doing that for a few years. Um, and then I really had an eye on the ball. Um, and I really liked it. But I was always very safe, maybe REF, secure. Yeah. And I had that on out me. Because always... your dad was like kind of, you yeah. know, seasonal salaried kind of guy. Well, I never, I, I, when I actually paid that money to do this train, I didn't tell any family members. Yeah. Because I thought they'd just tell me I was crazy. <laughs> Even I, if your parents presumably had lived through a huge, you know, our parents, that huge generation of property rises and yeah. that had made lots of it. And I, do you know what? I probably didn't do them justice at all because I, I made that decision not to tell them initially. And then when I did tell them, and I know he was like, oh, okay. But it was, oh, good luck to you. <laughs> and then fast. <laughs> You're and too then, old now, so you're not worried about you now. Just yeah. crack on. And then, and then last year, the biggest change was, when was it? I had my lad in um, summer 2017. Yeah. And so, you start thinking, I was teaching. Well, you, you're teaching or you're working and you're thinking, my salary's not great. Yeah. Is it, where's it going to go in the next five, ten years? And you're almost thinking, I'm really, I'm going to resent this in five years' time. Yeah. So I'm thinking, I need to make a change. And like my, my missus, she was so supportive of me. Mm. She was like, well, you know exactly what you're doing. Yeah just do it and I was like what just quit my job yeah so then we we made another investment and the investment was actually invested in myself I actually paid to have a coach yeah so I paid a lot of money it was over three grand and was this a coach like a kind of life coach or a, or a property sales coach a specialist in property um, him him his background was not property so I wasn't I wasn't using him as a consultant I was using him as someone to really just make me move business kind of motivated. Uh, just yeah just well, what are you doing? Almost an accountability friend because yeah, I was like I've always, I've been a t- I'm useless on my own yeah. When I say I'm useless, I'm, I'm a team person. I was never a good enough footballer on my own, but I was good as a part of a team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm one of those guys. Um, See, like a structure around you that yeah, you fit. Yeah, into. yeah. And so I probably needed that someone to be accountable to, to someone to really get me moving. And with that, I decided just to quit my job. Yeah. So you you can picture the scene, can't you? I've got a six month old lad. <laughs> I've just spent out the money we had left on a, on some personal development. And then we but fully she was fully supported behind it, Alice. And then we just that's it then. That was um It's tough though, isn't it? Because even then at that stage you get you get nappies, you got all the baby clothes, buggies, all this stuff that you're supposed to buy and pressure oh, pressure yeah. that moment. The one thing that football making you retire early, because I played for eleven years and then I was have I bet it's quite I think looking back it was a long, turbulent time where you're thinking, Where am I going? Yeah. Um, but it really does make you evolve of what you want out of life. So one thing we said is, is we'll tell you what, we'll quit job and I'll have I'll have my little boy one day a week because what, what am I getting out of that one day a week? Because yeah. I was working stupid amounts of hours. I was I was working but also doing property on evenings and weekends. Yeah. I thought, well, I can keep doing that but I'm not going to know my son. So you think about a balance and you go, well, where are you going to go? So now my lad is not even two but I've got a fantastic relationship with him um, and, it, and it's actually worked. 
I think I had hopefully in 2019 you, could be my best ever financial year. Oh, oh, mate, it's awesome to, to find out. I know there's, there's definitely a psychology pressure as well of, of almost working more and going and running harder when you when you first had that kind of panic attack of having the having a having a kick. I, I had that for a, a period, then I realised I had to you know sort of be on the home front more as well. So it's a balance, but it's um, when I'm interested in that psychology of having that confidence to do that, that belief in yourself. Do you think that? And what's interesting is this podcast was about what we get from sport, why we idolise sportsmen and women, the characteristics that we can, you know, take from them. Do you think that career and that, that epiphany you had as a young player to, to become a, you know, professional footballer and make that decision, do you think that was something that you, I guess, referred back to that gave you the confidence and a, and a mental map for, for doing it? Well, you, you facilitating it like that, you're completely right. Is it, and, it, and it was, it was almost a case of, in my, in my head, I was thinking, I can do this. Yeah. And it's not a case of I can do this. I'm like I will, and whatever it takes, yeah, I will. Because career do. advisors at school would say, well, for me, they'd say if you want to be a sports presenter on TV or you want to be a professional footballer, they'd probably say, have you thought about doing yeah. this degree to you know be a be an accountant or or whatever it might be. And I, but I just didn't feel as if I could make that decision myself. I did. I couldn't make that decision and put it on Alice. Yeah. Alice was she was like, well, I think well you know what, and she just kept on saying, well you know what, I think you should do. Yeah. And ultimately, we just sat there over Christmas. And then I went in on the first day after January and handed him a notice. And then, so it was the 1st of February, 2018. Yeah. That was my first day of Because you needed that time to, to do more business stuff, basically. I just needed, yeah, I just needed to, all the stuff I wanted to do. I just needed to have the time. And I thought, oh, I've got loads. And then all of a sudden, my, di- my diary's just jammed again. Yeah, and a baby <laughs> at home as well. It's just, you know, there's no respite. So you, you yeah. kind of, uh, it becomes it becomes hugely uh, draining. Amazing, but, but draining at the same time. So what... People say property, you work in property. So what's the process for you then? Do you, you have money, you had a little pot of money you put in and now you, you get more out and you put back into to projects. But is it intense in terms of managing the, the whole thing? It depends on how you set it up. It's Ultimately, it's either you use your own money, other people's money, invest in property, and at the end you both get paid. Yeah. But the investor always gets paid. So you first. buy before something's built typically, is that what you do? And then when it's built and sold, you get the money back? Um, mixture of things. Um, a couple of things got going on at the moment would be you might just buy a house, refurbish it and sell it. Yeah, um, it's a flip, they would call that, yeah. Yeah, a flip. And I've just got one going through in Tewkesbury, which is we've bought it, we've applied for planning permission, that'd be a big double-story extension, Yeah, and you'll sell it on. Um, other ones, there's a pub conversion in Manchester, so we're looking to... But that's so you go further afield then, you all around the country? Yeah, you, 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 if you can't, you can't, what I'm fully believer of, and it, again, it might be down to my psyche of being part of a team, it's best to partner up with people's skill sets rather than do everything yourself. Yeah. Because I initially, once one stage, I was thinking about developing a trade. Or do I become a tiler or a carpenter? <laughs> thinking, oh, I could do it myself. I'll tell you what, my, my wife would laugh the house down if I suggested something like that. Because uh, <laughs> not you, practical. But you just start to think, well, actually, that's not going to work long term. So now I, I, I found that my skill set is people. Yeah. Um, at the front end, out hunt, hunting hunting deals, partnering up with people, speaking to people, seeing how it's we It's been like the work. glue between everyone. Yeah, and like there's a development we've got going on in Cheltenham, which is the biggest thing I've ever done, and I've actually partnered up with a few people. The The project itself is, the framework's the same, it's just the figures are bigger. Yeah. Um, but regarding, it's actually building six houses. So Whereabouts is it? People, some people who are from Cheltenham might listen to the podcast. Oh, it's in, uh, it's in Leckhampton. Yeah. Um, but with that, my I've never actually built a house personally. Yeah. So now, now the deal's done and it's now been built. I've got nothing to do with it. Um, I mean, I'm, physically, yeah, you're not yeah, going to go and lay some brick. <laughs> no, we have a we have a week, we have a meeting once a week, 
um, with the partners to find out. And I'm almost holding them accountable and say, well, you said you, you're going to do that this week. Have you done it? If yeah. not, why not? And what are you going to do next week? That kind of process. So you, you partner with a builder then, if I construct a construction company? Yeah. So we've, again, if you're, if you're looking to get money off a bank to fund the project, they need to know that they're giving it to someone who's reputable. Yeah. So um, if, they, if they, they wouldn't give you a lot of money if you'd never actually built a house from the ground up. So I'm like, right, I've, so I found this deal. Uh, and I thought, right, hang on, how are we going to do this? Okay, I need to go and find someone who built a load of houses. So um, I met someone through networking over a year ago. Yeah. Met with them a few times. Mole Compass in the same position as mine. And thought, you know what, we could work together. I don't know what on. So just good, good person, you feel like that's the important yeah, that, attribute. That's yeah, the, the core value of that is he would, he's a good human first. Yeah. That's what I, I do call but people. As you get older, you get a bit more sort of uh, aware of that, don't you, I think? Yeah, oh, completely. I, I grade people. They're either good humans or thoroughly good humans. <laughs> oh, no. And then if they're below that, I probably wouldn't work with them. Yeah, or it's subhuman. Yeah, probably yeah. fit into that category. <laughs> but no, it's good. And ultimately... The people who like there was um people who invested in me right at the very start they'll yeah. be a, they'll be a part of what I do long term, um uh, because like the the first person who ever invested in me was my auntie in London. Oh wow! And they they've not had like the the financial reward like hopefully uh, yet. Yeah. But they'll be a, whatever I do or long term they'll be involved. So you in. have a contract with them to repay them a certain amount, do you? Well, with those well. because it was it was family. We say well it's not it's not like yeah. set in stone. But then in more recent times, people have been like they've either they put money in. Mm. for a fixed rate of return and they've had it back yeah and there was nothing greater feeling than last year because people go in they give you money and you give them it back plus more and they're like oh my god it works <laughs> like, yeah it does and like what they don't know they 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 might see it as a bit of a risk but they don't know is you will do whatever it takes even if i made a loss you would make sure that the investor gets paid yeah purely because that that would go it's around like yeah. yeah yeah and especially in this town like where I, a lot of people know me in Cheltenham building new projects that usually there's a, a good return for you is there from from that when you look at the the numbers yeah. involved oh yeah completely but we completely de-risked this one the reason why we've got four people involved is just to completely because um, you control the whole manage the whole thing yeah we've got we've got pe- people with different skill sets in four areas um we we de-risk it and we're not being greedy and for this for me personally to do a project of this size yeah it's the financial reward at the end isn't what it's all about because there's so much of a process that I'm going to learn um, on this development that's going to then stand me in good stead for the next one. Yeah. And ultimately, it's a bit of a feather in the cap because there's a lot of things that are happening with this development is that we're doing a good deed personally to the, the people. The houses or flats? Houses. It'd be six houses. Yeah. Yeah. So it'd be, it'd be really good. But in a perfect world, I would have two million pounds worth of investors money coming in and I'll pay them all money back but it will enable me so to go shopping more if you want to go and buy another house now you have to go to the bank and get some money is that how it works and uh, well people more than anything people yeah yeah like we, if I bought a house now for 250 grand and wanted to spend 100 grand off it yeah. on it I would a preference would be finding someone with 350 grand what just give it to you and then you'd say I'll give you 400 grand back and yeah yeah, yeah. Pretty much. So for them, it's passive income, relatively, if they yeah. can afford to, to, yeah. to let you have and it. And it's finding out about what they want. Some people want like a much more secure long-term investment. Yeah. Like just a percentage return rolled up on year on year. Like a rental or something. Like, yeah. yeah. Some people might go, some people might give you maybe £50,000 and say, oh, can we, can we give you, can we, you can, can you give us 6% return year on year? Yeah. And then you, you just give them that and that might be their holiday money each year. Ah, uh, okay. Um, or some people might just So they go, give you 6% well, so they give you like, you know, kind of... What sort of five grand a year you give them back, and yeah. then then at some point they take the money out, or how yeah, because yeah. if you, if it's a loan agreement, you've got to have a start date and an end date. Yeah, so you just give them the anniversary of the time they put the money in, 
you just give them the money, you give them like their interest. Yeah. And then there'll be a clause in there that says if they want their money back. Yeah. They just there's a, like a notice period. So but it, yeah, okay. it's agreed between the investor and myself. It's not something that so I how, dictate. How, how do you find this life compared to being a football? And how's it has it worked out? Um, very different. Yeah. Very very different. Um, but you're in control more in a sense, aren't you? Than, uh, than being at the whim of a, a manager or yeah, you, a, yeah, or a relegation or a promotion. Yeah, you're completely right. Because in, in football, there's so many variables that you can't control. You can't control the performance of your teammates. You can't control whether the food's going to be right. <laughs> you can't control the opposition, um, the weather. But within property, you can control a hell of a lot more. All things that can come out of the woodwork are all things that you can potentially minimise at the start. Yeah. So it, it's something that I, I enjoy it. Like My missus, she... she Sometimes we talk about the figures or she talks about things and she just says... You've got to be good at maths, haven't you, to work it out, like what your income's going to be, I suppose. Uh, you just need a calculator. <laughs> honestly, honestly Not doing you. leverage. You, you, yeah. I used to be a big, belie- well, big believer of I need to learn this, I need to learn this, I need to learn this. And the biggest asset I've got now is I know what I'm good at. Yeah. But I say it's the biggest strength that I know what I can't do. And does that so, leadership come from being a captain at Cheltenham Town and communicating and things? Do you think that's been part of her? Potentially. I've, I've always, that's always been a bit of a part of me. I remember I was 26 at Cheltenham and I was like the ambassador for the club. And yeah. when I was 27, 28, Martin Allen was manager. Yeah. P- younger players were coming to me and asking me to go into meetings with them. I'm, okay. like, I'm like, really? I'm like, well, it's my manager as well. Yeah. So you, it was, I was almost acting as their agent. But people used to do that to me, so I've obviously got that sort of a skill set where I. It, it, I feels, it feels with industries being more fluid, people's technical, logical revolution, those soft skills and people skills are, are kind of key, aren't they, for people as well? It completely. And I, I never forget there was a couple of lads, um, I'd, on, a, on a night, I'd be role playing a conversation. <laughs> and you're thinking, you wouldn't, if, if you spoke to any football fans out there, and you think they would never think that you'd be role playing a conversation. Because yeah. ultimately, managers don't want to be honest with players. No, in general. Yeah, yeah. Especially if it's a difficult conversation, because the manager. Well, anyone want... with their boss, you know, bosses have these management tactics as well, don't yeah. they? They throw some sort of smoke screen up at the start and sort of divert you if you want something as well. It's just... Completely. And if you're, I've been there myself. If you're a young player, and you go in, you ask one question. Yeah. And then manager just talks for five minutes. And it says, right, I'll see you in a minute. I'll see you on the training <laughs> pitch. And the, and the question hasn't been answered. No, no, yeah. So you it's... come away thinking, I've got no idea, more confused yeah. than... Did he answer it? I missed it, but I can't know. I don't know what the answer is. And it's tough, and it was really tough. But I really, I actually really like that human element of it. Yeah. And, that was, uh, and that's why I was talking to you before. I've gone into a bit of where I've come from and all the skills I've developed in that respect and a lot of coaching and teaching. It's ultimately transferable skills from yeah. transferring information. And now I do some coaching of people, yeah. whether they're looking to get into property or whatever. But I'm, I'm not a consultant. Yeah. And I'm not being the professor of all information, but you're just helping really... You'd be a great, serv- great service to League One and Two footballers because there's still not... I know there's maybe more money than 10 years ago, but still not a huge amount of money at that level. They're still going to have to work afterwards, but having someone like yourself to, to talk about transitions would be would be huge. I've got a... I've got a well, my little... I write my goals down every day. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> six o'clock, five... Well, Monday to Friday. Six o'clock, Monday to Friday, I write my goals down. This morning, it was the three-month goals. Yeah. And then I, on my 10-year goals, one of the things you write down is what you want to give back. And I would love to have, I'd, I want to work with um, footballers or former footballers, yeah. ones that maybe don't make it, maybe ones that get cut at 18. Yes. Or maybe ones then who maybe get cut mid-career like myself. Yeah. And I would just not, not give them an opportunity. I don't, want to, I don't want to just give them money. I want them to maybe give them a, an environment where they can come and learn something. Yeah. 
And but actually, if they're any good, I just want to invest in them. Mm-hmm. I don't want them to become a part of me. I, <laughs> I want. I just want to basically give them money for a return. Yeah. My then, my end game is to be a money lender. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, see, yeah. So it's like yeah, ancient kind of old school, old school tradition. That isn't it? Money lending goes back a long way. Yeah. But it makes sense. It makes sense, and also giving people that foot up and that consultation, that advice, and just giving them that that confidence as well that you've treaded that path and the belief. I think when you've seen someone do it, it's a lot easier to model someone and and go and go from there. Um, so yeah, that's that's great. You got those. You're very organised, aren't you? Sort of self development stuff's pretty big, and it's been huge for me. Um, and I've had so much success from it. Yeah, um, you have to create structure in, a, in an entrepreneurial world, don't you? I suppose because it's not like you've got a nine to five where someone clocks you in, clocks you out. Exactly, exactly. And it's so easy to say, oh, "I'll do that this week," and then it's still on your to do list. Yeah, um, that's why I focus on outcomes as opposed to to do list now. I go through sp- yeah, I go through spells of writing to do lists, and then it sort of like can depress you. <laughs> don't do it or whatever. Or... Oh, it is before. Well, you, you, or you always start writing things on there just to tick them off that you've already done and stuff like that. <laughs> if you're like me, you probably have a to do list with ten things on it. Yeah. End of the day, you might have done five, but now your to do list is fifteen. Yeah, how do you so, say? And it's and it's always the way. And if I've got my reminders now. There'll be twenty five in there. Yeah, but it's uh, I, I'm good at prioritizing that. Like what needs to happen. Yeah to move you forward oh, mate, it's, it's great to talk to you I think it's an inspiring story it's fantastic to live that dream of being a footballer and, and coming through and like I said giving advice to people at 18 might be big because I think university is not necessarily going to become the, th- the thing it was for us as a staple transition because are oh, you going to invest £9,000 a year's entrepreneurial stuff which you'd be good on but if, uh, we'll wrap it up there because I know you've had a, a, a bit of time here and you've got your business and lots of things to tick off but how do people follow you then at the moment Cheltenham Town fans who want to keep in touch with you but people who maybe want advice on property or, or general yeah. kind of career advice Anything well, social media platform, I guess. I've yeah. got I've got my my own Facebook now, which is just Chain Duff everywhere. Yeah, like, it's been like, a bit... like the beer on the Simpsons Duff. <laughs> yes, exactly that. Or and then my little property Facebook page is called Spearhead Property. Yeah, uh, so we've got that on uh, Facebook and Instagram. We don't have any. Again, I've become modern. There's no point having a website. <laughs> Watch out, people don't go to Shane Duffy as well, the uh, the Brighton player. Yeah, that, he comes up as well. You Google your name. Yeah, he does. He does. You must have done that. Yeah, <laughs> well, of course. <laughs> you have thorough research just to check uh, check out the facts, right? Yeah, no, that's right. Well, no, thank you for that. Ed. No, it's great. Great to speak to you, and um, we'll we'll stay connected and, and keep in touch and catch up again in the future. I'm sure. Cheers, Shane. Not Appreciate man. it. See you, mate.